Welcome to Perry's Leadership Couch. Either you're thinking of firing all your employees, locking yourself in the bathroom to scream in disbelief, or starting up your own business and have not slept in the last month, we have the stories from the people who are there or have been there. This is your dose of leadership excellence and survival. Hello, welcome to Perry's Leadership Couch. Today I have with me a distinguished gentleman by the name of Forrest Tuff. Forrest Tuff's background, he's been about 16 years in business. He started off with a, a media company and then slowly began mentoring people and now does a lot of speaking engagements and a lot of coaching, working through the Small Business Administration. He's a person who really wanted to give back to his community after he built up his, his base business. Now, Forrest, one thing I was wondering, what got you into media in the first place? I have to go with my mom, Perry. You know, growing up, my mom always had a camcorder and she was always recording our life around the house. So I just kind of picked that up. And in high school, you know, I'm running around with the camera recording my friends and just my life in general. And so that's kind of the backstory of how I was introduced into that entire world of media in the first place. What, what made you want to record everything? Is it just your mom or is there is there something else that was in you that said, hey, you know, this moment I need to catch it on film? <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, you're hanging out with your friends, you know, you're going to see your grandparents. And I had this thing where I just said, you know what? These moments won't last forever, you know, and and we will record stuff and I would see how some of my friends, you know, that I'm hanging out with these good times or these memories we could never capture. You know, sometimes back then there was a Polaroid camera, you know, you had that. And uh -huh. outside of that, it was just, you know, you had still moments. But, you know, to watch it organically as people have fun, that kind of drew me into loving the video. So I always had a camera around, whether we were at, you know, just parties or basketball games or just anything where we were hanging out. I'm just always recording. So that's just how it started, just to have those memories and to actually hear people's voices and see them. Okay. So so you're loving recording, you're recording your friends, you're you're enjoying that. And then suddenly it goes from just for fun to something that you're using to to make money with. How was there a specific opportunity? How how did that transition happen? Well, to be honest with you, that happened in high school. It was just a hobby. I didn't start the business until maybe a decade later after my NBA basketball dreams were thwarted and I long no longer could play basketball. That then was the fallback. I, you know, tried to figure out how could I do something other than working at nine to five. So really my initial goals were to play professional basketball. And so there's a story with that that got me in the place where now I could no longer play. And I was like, okay, I can't just work a nine to five. And that's how the business ownership came about. Okay. And, and what happened to, to the college? So you, so you, I assume you were very, very good at basketball. So, so what is that story? So actually, you know, I grew up three sports, you know, I played track, ran, played basketball, I ran track and also played football. And I received a scholarship to play at a junior college for two years. And at that junior college, uh, that junior college here in Georgia, I actually, you know, broke a lot of records. I was one of the top three point shooters in the nation. And I received a division one scholarship to play at Western Carolina University. And so with that, that was part of my dream. You know, hey, I'm going to make it to the NBA. So I was kind of like that Steph Curry kind of player before Steph Curry was around. You know, there were games where I would have 10, 11, three-pointers in a game, you know, score 30 points and a half. And, you know, the good thing about these war stories is that 
I kept a lot of the pictures, the newspaper clippings, and I also have all the videos. So that works out for me when I'm, <laughs> you know, when you tell these war stories to your your daughters and your 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 nephews, and they're like, "Oh yeah, please," and then you get to show them. So that worked out for me. But long story short, I had a career-ending injury, and I severed the nerves in my shooting finger. And so with oh. that, yeah, it, it was it was tragic, man. And I, I couldn't play because my fingers were in a cast and they were bent. So the accuracy that I needed to shoot, I no longer had. And I had to figure out what's next. You know, what am I going to do? And so for years, I, you know, I kind of worked in different industries, you know, working in management and sales and retail and doing that, you know, you make a lot of money for different companies. And so it eventually led to me going, how can I do this for myself? That's kind of the, the timeline of how I got to starting the media production company, starting out with, you know, videoing events for people. Well, it, it seems like you were you were doing everything that you needed to do to make ends meet, but you were unsatisfied with the results. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you talk about graduating from college, you know, you were a star basketball player and your first job is at Foot Locker. And someone says, could you go get me a size 12? And I'm sitting there and people are putting their feet in shoes and I'm thinking, oh, this can't be, <laughs> this can't be it for me, you know, but. It was a yeah. it was a it was an interesting thing because it was humbling, but at the same time I learned a skill that I hadn't honed and that was sales. So in those moments of working in retail, I began to pick up sales and how important that was just to make things happen. You know, and that would later later on be the thing that was a catalyst for me, you know, really growing my business. Okay. Was there any particular moment? I know a lot, a lot of us as, as entrepreneurs, when we first start there, there's a, there's a moment in time where a fire gets lit under our butt. Like either it's, you know, we talked a little bit about Andrew and them that were on the podcast before and their moment in time was $244 in one year worth of work. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, you know, I had my moment where I've, where I decided, okay, that's it. I got to try something different and do something different. Did you have a moment in time or was it a, was it a, a just a sum of moments? How, how did that look for you? I think if I could sum it up, there was a moment where I was facing homelessness, you know, being homeless. And that, that scared me. That concept scared me because the ends were not meeting up. You know, the bills were coming and I saw where the bills, the money needed to go, except I didn't have the money to cover those bills. And so I had to make some sacrifices, you know, in moving, you know, I had to move some stuff in storage and, you know, rent out a couple of extended stay hotels for a little while until I could pull it together. And I think that was the moment for me that just said, hey, man, this is this is going down a dark road. You know, you have to you need to pull it together. You need to apply yourself and, you know, you've got to stop wasting money in places where it's not necessary. And I think. That was my aha moment. Like, all right, Forrest, it's time to buckle up. You got to get this, pull this thing together and, uh, you know, figure it out. So it wasn't a specific amount of money, but it was, you know, things were starting to go down a dark road. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been in an extended stay place, not the corporate kind. Yeah. And uh, you can see some stuff there that will motivate you to get the heck out That's of that right. extended stay place. <laughs> That is right, man. You're like, is this, is this where it needs to go? Yeah. And, and that, and that's it. I'll be honest with you, when you're looking around and your lifestyle is not meeting 
you know, the, the, the places where you saw yourself being and you recognize the reason you're going down this rabbit hole is because you, the decisions you're making, you know, you realize that, okay, yeah, I, I got a good job. I'm doing this. But at the same point in time, I'm now still trying to present this lifestyle as if, you know, I'm, I'm living in a way that I'm not. And I think I had to really, to be honest with you, I had to do away with the facade that I had as a, you know, as an athlete. And that's something yeah. that, you know, it's really humbling. You know, when you're at your top athlete, you have this, this image that you want to keep up to people, but that same image that I'm trying to uphold is the very thing that's causing me to fail. So in my moments, I had to face that fact and just go, Hey, listen, you're not that guy. Those days are over. You've got to start over and figure it back out. So that for me was the humbling moment, but it was a come to reality moment, you know? No, it's, it sounds like it. And a lot of people that that's, that's a motivator. It's also something that can tumble you down into, to an endless depression where you start going, this is what I want to be. This is, and you start getting grips with, this is who I really am right now. And that gap between the two can do one of two things to you. It can, it can light a fire under your butt to become what you want to be, or it can depress you because that gap is so big. And then you just become paralyzed and you just keep funneling down that road and, and who you are deteriorates more and more. And, right. and, you know, a lot of times the difference between a successful person and an unsuccessful person is when they get that moment and they realize who they actually are. And, and it's not who they're portraying on, on Facebook and Instagram or, you know, years ago, we didn't have that, but we still portrayed right. that to our friends and, and the people around us. That's right. And it's like, look, that image and me are, are so, are so far away from each other. Uh, you know, I, and now I'm starting to come to terms with, with who I am. I mean, I'm okay. glad that you decided at that moment, okay, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be the person I want to be. So how did you come up with the, the, who you wanted to be? So you're sitting there and you're going, okay, I'm not, all this facade is not me. That's right. I'm sitting in an extended stay. The guy next to me is doing God knows what. <laughs> and I'm realizing that I am what surrounds me, right? So I'm That's here. Right. And so I am what's here. That's right. How did you craft your in your mind what you wanted to be and take those steps? Well, during that time, you know, some things, I started to just, you know, make small changes you know, I got myself back in into an apartment and I ended up having my first child. I had a daughter. And that was the catalyst. Yeah, that was the catalyst. And, you know, having getting married and having my first child, you know, around the age of 27, that changed everything. So I realized now I, I couldn't live for myself anymore. You know, I'm now living for someone else. And I think for me, you know, having a girl too, you know, and I have, I grew up with both of my parents, you know, was, we were raised five of us and my mother and father were always there to look out for their kids. So, you know, they allowed us as adults to make our own mistakes, but they were great parents. So for me, that was the thing that I needed to be. I wanted my children to have that same stability. So that was the fire that made me go, all right, man, it's time to get it together. Okay. And and how did that manifest itself into the video? So you, now you've decided, okay, I need to do something. That's I've right. decided this is not enough. I'm taking the next step. Right. And then you said, like, what made you go, okay, the next step is, is video production. So I had this job working for this company in sales. Uh, it was a construction company. I was selling, you know, I was working with architects and developers and we were selling these packets, letting them know where jobs were in construction. And so I, I had this contract and I think I made the company, the commission was like 11 grand. 
but they made so much money. And, and I think what happened is I said to myself, I can't continue to do this for other businesses. That was my thought. And I said, I need to start my own business. How can I make this type of money? You know, now I have these sales technique, techniques. How can I do this for myself? So I decided I wanted to start some type of company and something that I knew. And I had a friend ask me, hey, listen, um, one of my friends is having a birthday party. How much would you charge us to come out and do the video? Because everybody knew me from still doing video. That was still a part of my life. And that's when yeah. the bell hit. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll do this. You know, and I, I did the birthday party and I got paid. And I said to myself, this is my business right here. So that's how it came. You know, and and from there, I used the, the sales techniques I had learned. And I started to just, you know, look at the equipment and take the money that I made from my business and start to reinvest back in into the into my company after I started it. What did that look like? Did you did you go, okay, I did this birthday party, now I'm quitting all my other jobs and this is the only thing I'm going to do? Like that transition, what what was what was that like? <laughs> yeah, it, well, it was I, I quit my job, right? And so I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm all the way out here. But then it started to get hard again. And the reason it was so hard is because now I had more mouths to feed and I couldn't just depend on myself. So I went back, uh, my mother and father, if I didn't mention it, they had a church. And so I began to take over the media department for their church. So all of the skills and things that I had been learning, I started to implement, you know, uh, with the church. And so I worked there for a few years and that allowed me to help, you know, get some things in order. And I, you know, I continued to work the business and I saved money from, you know, working at the church and also working my business until the point, you know, where I could finally just go full throttle uh, with the business. So it, it sounds like you set yourself up in a position to where you're doing the thing that you wanted to do for your business. And then your business at first was a side hustle until it became big enough to stop being that. It, exactly. It's, it's, exactly. That, that's amazing. That's amazing. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Perry. No, no, go, go, go ahead. I'm, I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, because I say, you know, sometimes you hear, you know, if you want something, you've just got to go get it, forget everything else and leave it behind. And that was my attitude. But, you know, you have to also look at your situation because sometimes that method can be selfish when you have others depending on you. You know, and I'm I'm here with I'm married with a kid and their needs. And at the time, I couldn't be in a position to where they're waiting because, you know, in entrepreneurship, man, there can be some nice checks and then there can be some lulls you know i i think entrepreneurship is like seasons you know there's winter spring summer fall and during winter oh my god it's like there is nothing happening but you still have to eat so i had to find a way to get that going until i could have a more consistent base of clients mhm mm mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's just it's the it's the regular diet program for every entrepreneur you know <laughs> Uh, I, I've I've rode those hills, you know. And sometimes the yeah, highs are right. really high, and sometimes the lows are really low, really and then they last low. way too long. Way too long, man. Way too long. So yeah, you know, I'm doing all the same stuff I was doing before. Why is it not working? It was working. Why is it not working? Yeah. <laughs> and you start, you know, you start going back to all those techniques you learned, and you're like, you know, my database isn't that big. I, you know, that's when you realize you have a database of like. 25 people, you know, and, and you realize the reason these corporations were so great is because they had all these people, thousands of people, and you don't have that resource. But that's a man, that learning lesson is it's amazing because when you go out in entrepreneurship with just hope, 
Hope is not enough. A desire is not enough. It, it can get you going, but along the way, you have to develop some serious skills. And I had to learn that the hard way, you know, when I started. So how, how did you do that? So you start off and, and you're going in, you're doing videos, you're, you know, you're billing a couple of people some money. Finally, you get to the point to where you're, you're billing more people for money. Mm-hmm. Now, we all know that a big part of being an entrepreneur is that, is that consistent stream of income that you can count on month, month after month after month. But it doesn't just happen, right? So you've got to go out and kill, right? You've got to go out and do your sales. You have to close deals every single month or you're done. That's right. How did you transition and how did you learn not only that you had to do that, but how did you learn to actually do it? That's a great question. I started out, you know, doing music videos that really took off. I got in the entertainment side of it. And so that really went well. But I started to realize, you know, there are a lot of people in this space. I need to find something that's going to be a little harder to penetrate. And I've got to you know, diversify myself from the next production company. And so I started to look at working with corporations. And so I was like, I don't know any, I don't have any corporate friends that I could pull on that could just, you know, hey, how do you bid on this job? So some corporations that I would go to, I would just tell them, hey, you having this big event, I'd like to offer our production services for free. We'd like to cover this event. You know, I put together a great proposal let them know what we had. And I said, I'd like to have the opportunity to earn your business. And so I started off with the company called the Woodruff Art Center. You know, we did, Mm -hmm. we covered this huge event that they did in partnership with Target. And we did it pro bono. And this was a huge thing. But when we finished, put together commercials, advertisements, I mean, this was a huge job. And what ended up happening is that they got all the products that we did for them. And that's how I had my first break into that nonprofit corporate arena because they partnered with Coca-Cola and many other corporations. And once we started working with them, they started to pass our name around. And that's how I got my break into more consistent checks for my business. So so basically you went off and did did a pro bono shoot and did did a good job and showed them that you're trustworthy and, and that you do good work. And then right. they spread the word for you because they had the contacts that you didn't. Well, the work we did with them over a period of time. So they would partner with other organizations. So let's say if they had a partnership they did with Coca-Cola, then as a preferred vendor for them now, we would end up working with Coca-Cola. And so now that would spill over into us getting a contract now with Coke and working with some of their partners. And they're on. So that word of mouth, in a sense, you know, working with these organizations is how it how it spread. And so from there, I started to get more accustomed to how do I bid on projects and how do you know, how do I get my company in front of other people? So over that process of time and working with them, you know, and you know how it is when you're in business and you get a relationship with people, they'll start to give you tips if you ask. Hey, so how do you know, how do you get in the front office? How do you get past the gatekeeper? Blah, blah, blah. And they'll start to tell you. And that's how things started to organically grow. It was like, wow, man, it's it's really important that it's not just what you know. It really is who you know that can open some of these doors for you. Yeah, I mean, you'd almost argue that who you know is uh, more important because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as, as you go through, I don't know if this has been the case for you, but as, yeah. as I went through business, this is what, I, what I've come to the conclusion of so far. There's a lot of people that can execute well. There's very few people that can get clients. 
That is so true, man. That is so true. And it, it, it's just, it's just one of these things, you know, as in you have these ideals that everything's going to work out. You're, you're, you're a people person, but sometimes it's the, you know, the minutia of how you do it, but really knowing key people is the, is the thing. And for me and my walks, the success that I've had has come from other people who just put me in a position just by being in a certain place. And I really would like to take credit for so much of it. You know, I think, you know, I'll do my part, but at the end of the day, it's really people that can get you in front of others, you know, because when I was doing, doing it my way and I, I did it my way, man, there was some hard times, you know, and that's just the reality of reality of these situations is that you have to be in the business of knowing people if you really want to try to grow your business. That's just my personal take. Yeah, I, I think that um, a lot of people who go from from working in, in a front office and, and go into entrepreneurship get a, get a really big wake up call when it comes to that because you go in and, and doing leadership consulting inside of businesses. You see, uh, you know, you know that old saying: "I don't come here to make friends; I come here to do a job." That's right. <laughs> it's like, yep. That's why you'll never be in. You'll never be a supervisor. You're never going to be in management. You'll never be an entrepreneur that's right. because they need to be able to trust you. And trusting you is obviously has to do with the good work that you do, but yeah. trusting you has to do with their personal relationship with you. And if they think you're a, if they don't want to deal with you, they'll find somebody else that can do that job just as well as you can. But they want to right. deal with. That's right. <laughs> and, a lot of us don't, you know, we forget this is a capitalist market. They have choices. <laughs> they do. And you know, you know, better yet, let's just say, Perry, you're putting on a, a contract and, you know, you got this big contract and you're outsourcing it. You know, one thing that, you know, entrepreneurs have to realize is that they have people that they have to impress also. So deadlines, mm -hmm. it means everything, because if you tell the people that are giving you this huge contract, yeah, we'll have this spec to you by Tuesday. And then I come and say, hey, we won't have it by Friday. You're like, hey, dude, you're making me look bad. You're actually playing around with my, you know, my resources. So, you know, it's big that you can meet deadlines and and be a person of your word, especially when you're a, a startup or you're a, a small entrepreneurship and you don't have big names behind you. You know, the only thing that matters is your word. And you have to make sure that that becomes a staple you know, to, to continue to get business, you know, in my experience, you know, that's, that's what it's been just making sure that people making the people you work with look great. Yeah. You couldn't say it better. It's when people are in a, in, in a career and they're not entrepreneurs, they yeah. want to get promoted. That, that's just part of what they want to do. You want to get promoted. You want to get the better salary. You want to get recognition for making good decisions. And as they get older and more experienced, they start having a smaller, smaller group of people that they're willing to work with. That's and right. they work with those people because they know and they trust those people. Mm -hmm. To be in that circle, you have to be selfless in not selfless as in you don't charge what you deserve because that's just silly. You you know, yeah. you're worth a certain amount of money. You charge that and maybe a little bit more. But your intentions always has to be, I want to do the best possible job that benefits the end client. Right. And That's if right. he's looking for a promotion, and I do this in consulting too, I'll flat out tell him, I'll say, look, what do you need to get promoted? Let's work on that. 
Yeah. Because that's really what you want. You want right. to get promoted. That's so right. I'm going to teach leadership in here. I'm going to ta- I'm going to teach you how to get yourself promoted because that's your goal. And talking about anything else isn't going to be interesting to you. So yeah. let's do that. And with your business, it seems like you you understood that with the video and 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 the work that you're doing with people. That right. your job is to make them look good, make that decision that they made to work with you look good, so they make it again. Exactly, and that's that's all a part of the customer experience because that background in retail. I knew that customer service, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm pulling from these old, you know, these things that I learned, you know, the customer, you know, we learned in retail, the customer was always right. Well, there's a stipulation, but at the end of the day, hey, if they walk out happy and, you know, the company uh, benefits or, or, or something, you know, that's going to be the catalyst of repeat business and word of mouth. So, yeah, it's important even to your words. I like the way you say it. Hey, how how can I help you? What do you need to do to get this promotion? That was my thought process entering a project. You know, what can we do to make them look great so that they depend on us to provide them this service? They're like, you know what? No other company hits these deadlines like we do or has a communication and makes it so easy for us to do what we need to do without that fuss. So that that was just one of the things that, you know, I was hoping to to make happen with our business and you know, over time, you know, you do it consistently enough. And I tell people, you know, play the long game. You know, a lot of times I meet a lot of entrepreneurs, they want to play the short game. They want it quick, fast, in a hurry. And I'm like, you know what, man, it's, this is a process. So you got to, you know, be in the process because it may take some time. Some people, you know, they'll have an idea and it'll just blow up and they'll get rich, you know, in a, a year, a week. But that wasn't the nature of the way my first business started. So I just enjoyed the process and made sure I took care of the client. Yeah. Anything that blows up fast can, can deflate very fast also. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I've had yeah. talks that you, there's these things called EPC companies. So engineering procurement and construction. So it's a little mm-hmm. bit in, in my lane and, and basically they build things. And inside of one of the companies, the rolling joke was we don't finish projects. We abandon them. And the reason is, is at the end, they just concede to the client, you know, okay, look, we'll give you a million dollars off the bill. That's right. Uh, you fix all of these final mistakes uh, that you, that you didn't like, but just please let us go. Mm-hmm. And they, in a lot of the, the building that goes on power plant, stuff like that ends like that. And that's that, that, that's the uh, kind of a mentality of a transactional thought process. I'm going to transact with you one time. You're probably not going to hire me again. These are big projects. You know, people right. don't tend to do over and over. Exactly. And you've, you've looked at the long term where it's like, I need a relationship with you first mm-hmm. and then everything else comes. So l- let's bring it to the, to the reverse now. Okay. What happens when your client asks for something they didn't pay for? So let's say that they, they said, you know, you're going to do a production and, and it's going to be so many videos and, and they want two more, or, or maybe you, you'll have a more vivid example and you want to give it to them. But, but then again, you also have to make money. So how do you manage those situations where you're sitting there and the client is maybe even thinking that they have the right to demand this of you because, you know, whatever, they, they, they paid you. So they figure you should do everything they want, <laughs> So which so happens, I, right? So how do you I, do yeah, that? It, and it does happen. And I'll tell you what, I'm fortunate that I had a mother who was really great with finances and taxes. And she always told me this, itemize. So whenever I build clients or I made quotes, this was something that I just happened to have on my side. I always had an itemized structure of showing them how we did the service. I never gave them a lump quote. I said, you know, here's what we're providing. 
and I always had add-ons. So, you know, I would have sometimes clients that would go, hey, listen, you know, we want to add this on. We want to do this. And it would be in the initial proposal. You know, I would always, I kind of had the forethought to, to forecast something like that. So I was fortunate in that regard to have some, you know, some people who talked to me about that ahead of time, because that wasn't always something that people know when they start an entrepreneurship. And I always had the, uh, the knowledge to say, hey, listen, make sure that you spell out what, what's being done in this project. And if there are other things, you know, do troubleshooting ahead of time. So that's something I just happen to know. But I tell you what, if I didn't know that, there could be some disasters. And fortunately, because of that guidance, I didn't have a lot of those disaster stories that I'm fully aware can happen when you're not prepared to meet those needs. Now, I, I, I will tell you a situation I did have one, one time period that happened. And I had a client that we work with and they had a conference, important conference, right? And the sound and the video that we did came out a little jacked up. And by a little, I mean, the sound was just terrible. It was just popping. For some reason, you know, our audio is not connected and, and there's just this popping sound and you can't, yeah. there's no way to clean it up, man. We didn't have any backups. And I'm just thinking, wow, how did you let this happen? And so in this situation, we had to offer the client, number one, we gave them a full refund. We gave them all their product and we gave, we offered them to do their next project on us. And I took a big hit on that, but I didn't have a contingency plan. And this is one of those situations where I'm thinking like, you know what? I was not prepared for this. Um, I, I did everything I, I could, but I just wasn't prepared. And you'll have those moments, no matter how great you are at certain things, you'll have moments where you just drop the ball. And when you drop the ball, you just got to be willing to pick it up and just say, hey, listen, we messed this up, you know, and we want to try to fix it up for you. We did retain the client, but I tell you what, that's a hard thing in entrepreneurship to do because anytime you go work for free and you're doing something or you're giving back, you you know, you kind of take that money. You've budgeted that money. You know, I don't care what they tell you. I had when I saw the quote and it was approved, I started moving that money around. I was like, yeah, I know how this is going to take care of that. So it was a, just a bad situation. <laughs> yep, yep. Just a I bad know. situation, man. <laughs> just, you know, you had to eat the crow, but, you know, that's happened before. But, you know, fortunately, I've had some people to help give me guidance along the way. And that's what kind of led me to the next phase of, you know, of actually being a business mentor. So when when you th- and that's a, that's an example of when when you mess up. And I really love what you did, because a lot of it, it, that's a hard thing to do, as you said, first is you you get the PO, you're, you're spending it in your head, especially if you're in the starting stages and you don't have a lot of money, that money means a lot to you. Yes, it does. And then giving your time and offering to do the next one for free is also a big problem because that's a lot of time that you, you're not chasing new clients. You're not doing other gigs. So you really are losing money by doing it. So that, that's a really important decision to make. Yeah. And by that, and that's what allowed you to retain the client. Now, what about the other way around when, when you've done everything good, Mm-hmm. Yet the client, you know, every once in a while you have a client that's a little bit more difficult to deal with than others. Now, I'm not trying to tell yeah. you to give me their first and last name, yeah. but <laughs> in yeah. those cases where you have that conflict, the PO has been issued, you got the contract, you're, you're in the middle of production and they start wanting to expand the scope of work without expanding the money they're giving you. 
How do you handle those kind of things? Obviously, the first thing you said is get the scope solid. That was your first piece of advice. Itemize it all. Make right. sure it's clear. Give them what the add-ons are. Let them know what they are. Ha be very clear at the beginning, which is great advice. Yeah. And now you're in the middle and your client, for whatever reasons, they woke up on the other side of the bed. They're greedy. They, they forgot. <laughs> whatever the reason is. Yeah. They're starting to ask you for stuff that they didn't necessarily pay for. How are you yeah. dealing with it? So I'm going to be very transparent with you, Perry. It really depends on the financial situation. You know, mm -hmm. if 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 money's in the bank and things were great, I had a tendency to be a little more, you know, I didn't budge as much because, you know, you got to set the precedent, right? But, you know, there are times when you need the money and you're like, you know what, I need to solidify this contract and we need to make sure that they get it. And if it's not going to move me too much out of my way, I'll bend a little bit. And that's, that's really how I handle that situation. You know, we start out, you know, having a conversation, you know, they acknowledge this is not what they want or they don't acknowledge it because you have some that just act as if this is what the agreement was from the beginning, you know, mm -hmm. and it really depended on the situation. I'll be, I'll be really honest with you. If financially I needed that money and the people that I'm working with needed the money and it just wasn't a way that I could figure out around it, I'd make the concession. You know, I have done that before. And and that's one of the things that's different when you're working also with consumers, you know, and initially it was. And it's kind of changing now working with corporations and government agencies is a little different. But, you know, that initial thing was just really dependent on my personal situation, you know, and how that would affect everyone else. And how has that changed now that you're dealing with companies and, and the government? And I know the government's always fun. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I do a That's lot right. of work for government, uh, right. U.S. and other ones. So, That's right. That's right. How how has that changed now for you? Well, so you know things have changed uh, working with government agencies over time. I've been working with them now probably about six or seven years, but you have to be a little more flexible. And I think that's one of the things I've just had to learn overall. If I could put it in a nutshell, is you have to have a level of flexibility depending upon what is this going to cost me to do it. You know, sometimes you can make changes in my line of work that may not cost you a lot, you know, but what's the reputation you want to have in terms of, you know, are you going to be that company that's known for, you know, getting pushed aside to do certain things and and not, you know, get more. So I don't deal with that as much in, in certain regards, but, you know, starting off, you know, when you're really trying to make a name for yourself and, that, and I'll tell every entrepreneur, you have to kind of judge this for yourself. There is no point in time that anyone can pinpoint that says, hey, you're at this place. You just have to know where you are, you know, with your company and how this affects, you know, the people you work with. And you have to be ready to just make that decision and stand by it. So I think early on, you know, I, I kind of conceded to some things, not a lot, but there are some things that I conceded to in order to retain certain contracts and retain businesses. But I also started to now look at, I need different clientele. I want to work with different people. You know, I want to get in a space that's where I'm not making or asked to make some of these uh, compliances without being able to say, okay, let's, let's attach a, you know, work order to that. So that's kind of been my personal journey, you know, and, and like I say, it's going to differ, differ for everyone, but uh, does that kind of tell you what you were talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that's interesting and that you did highlight the difference between dealing with a, a basically end consumer, which right. can be much blurrier. 
right. than dealing with corporate or government, which is entirely clearer. But they, but they're also yes. they they hold a lot more chips though. So yeah, it's, like just because it's more clear doesn't mean you make less concessions because they That's have true. a bigger bat. Yes, it is. And I thought. I, I thought one thing that you said was was really was really important is is you did a lot of your decision making based on what you wanted your reputation to be. And I think that's a really good takeaway is that when you start thinking about your concessions um, and what concessions to make and, and how to make them, because it's not just making the concession or not. It's how you go about making a concession, because you can make concessions and be a pushover and you can make yep. concessions and be appreciated. Exactly. And the difference is how you go about giving them the concession, but right. making that decision based on how you want your reputation to be, I think is, is a good like North star when you're, when you're considering, I think that's, that's great that you brought that up. Thanks Perry. You know, and these are, these are hard decisions because when you're, when you're the person at the top and you know, everything's going to come down to you and how it's, how it's done, you have to make that decision, but you have to also deal with the repercussion if it doesn't turn out right you know you you think it over in your head you're like yeah it's gonna go this way i think it'll be great and if it goes south you have to live with that also and, and what's the backlash from that so like you say these decisions don't come lightly you know but it's it's a part of entrepreneurship and i think it's a part of not just wanting to you know own a business but you know want, striving to have a successful business you know when you look to have something successful that you know, maybe you can pass on to your children if that's the case or sell it or whatever you want to do. You know, you have to establish something that makes it worthwhile. It has to have something behind it because companies like McDonald's and Coca-Cola, Target, these large corporations, they started out with something similar. And you have to you have you have to think about it like, how did they add that value? And what do I need to do to kind of make make sure that my name has that same value or stamp of approval from corporations until now it's just a given you know when people say hey, we're working with this company they're like hey we know what it is because you've done that over time so you know that that's all something i've always had in the back of my mind as i thought about decisions on how i did things now now forrest i i don't want uh the the people who are listening to go oh he's just talking talking now you've won a lot of awards in atlanta could, could you, yes. would you mind listing them? I don't know if you remember all of them on your way. There's just so many of them. So can, can you list off a couple of the awards that you won so people understand that you don't just say this, you actually, this is how you, you run your business. Okay. Uh, as far as Atlanta, we've been named one of the best and brightest companies to work for the past six years. Uh, that's really big because that talks um, not only to what we do as a company, but also how our employees and staff members, what they think about the company in terms of you know, just how they're being treated, just things about the people that work for your company. So that's that was a huge one for us. We've been awarded by the Better Business Bureau with the Torch Award for ethics and service. So as far as business, those are some high level business uh, things that we've won just to, in, in the business that I could talk about that speak to, you know, what we do in Atlanta. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. And I wanted you to say that because I, if somebody's listening to this podcast, I want them to understand that you're not just, this isn't just lip service coming from you. This is something that you, that you live day in and, and day out and you, and you've done it so well that you've actually been recognized by a, 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 a city for, yeah. for what you've yeah. been doing. So it's not just two guys writing you a recommendation letter. It's the city going, right. look, it's, 
workplace is a great place to work for. And, and also the Better Business Bureau is saying that you are an ethical person that, and that you engage in, in good business practices. So that, yeah. that's great. And also, you know, that something you brought up, you, you've transitioned now that, that you've had this business for so long. I know that, that you mentioned to me that giving back was something that was important to you and it's kind of how you were raised mm-hmm. and you're starting to do or not starting. You've been doing mentorship uh, for entrepreneurs. Could, could you what, what does that look like? What exactly are you mentoring them in? OK, so I started my business in 2004 and around 2015, I embarked on initiative to want to give back through my business. So I decided to become a business mentor with a national organization called SCORE. Uh, They are a small business resource uh, through the SBA. And we also started a pay it forward grant to award finances to nonprofit organizations. So our first grant was at $500. We've given up to 2000 over the course. We do this annually. And at that same time, I went through a 90 day vetting process with SCORE. This organization has been around for 60 years. And at the time, it was retired executives that were now helping small businesses pro bono. So after the 90-day vetting process, they vetted me as a not only as a business owner, but my knowledge and and what they wanted to share with me on how to help people to start their businesses. I became a mentor, and that was in 2015. So that was my that was my journey to start giving back in terms of not only helping people start their business and sustain their business, but also to provide finances for nonprofits that needed money to help with the programs they were trying to initiate. Mm-hmm. What, what's some common things when you, when you get there and, and you have the, the younger entrepreneur or not even younger, the, the, mm-hmm. I want to earlier, the, I don't mean younger by age. I mean, younger by right. how long they've been an entrepreneur. So when when you get that person and they come to the SBA, and by the way, a lot of people don't know that the Small Business Administration is fantastic. You can get so much information for free. It's incredible. It really is. Yes. And so if you're an entrepreneur and you haven't been to the Small Business Administration because either you didn't know about it or what, just go tomorrow, you know, if they're open in in the city you're in. Go visit them because you'll have access to people like Forrest. And, and a lot of people give back through the SBA. And these are a lot of retired executives. So that out of the way, my plug for the SBA out. <laughs> um, you you join there and you, and you have these uh, younger entrepreneurs, not age, but just their, their journey mm-hmm. in entrepreneurship. What are the common stumbling blocks or misconceptions that they're, that they're having that you that you help them work through? Okay. So there, there, there are a couple of types and I'll, I'll just highlight two. So there is the working professional, the executive that is now retired. They've made tons of money. They are used to having teams of people under them and they now want to start a business. And so they come in and they're first like, you know, all right, I've, I've retired after 30 years. So I'm going to sit with this guy and he's going to try to give me some advice. The first thing that I'll tell them is, Hey, You no longer have the staff. You are the CEO and the janitor. That is the first thing that the young entrepreneurs in terms who've never started a business and the CEO execs who have startup capital and they want to figure out the best way to do it. You know, you you've put aside, you know, maybe a hundred thousand dollars. But I want to tell you, you can't spend that money like you did when you were with the corporation, because 
that ha- that money has a definitive end. You know, sometimes in corporations, there's always a new budget budget that comes around. But here it's like, yeah. listen, you've got to make this money work. So there are going to be a lot of things you're going to have to do that you're not used to. You know, like you're going to have to be your own assistant. I know you're used to having one or two, but you're going to have to answer your emails. You're going to have to schedule dates until you can get to a place <laughs> where you got to handle right. on that thing. You know, and so that's a culture shock because when you've done it in like a court, you know, in, in that setting, you've always had these resources available to you. Now, on the other hand, here's the person who probably has a thousand dollars to start a business, and they have no knowledge. Then I tell them, hey, listen, you're going to be the CEO. And the janitor, that's the first thing you got to know. You're doing everything. You're going to have to find how much you can do and save as many resources as you can. And you have to reinvest your finances back into your business. When you make money, it is not time to go on a vacation. Vacations are on hold. You've got to figure out, okay, what do I need to do to, you know, order new supplies. There's that retail background coming in. Okay, we've sold stuff. Now we have to buy new merchandise to resell. And so you've got to figure out how do you do that? Are you going to go get a brick and mortar? Because that's going to cost monthly. And until you have money coming in, you know, if that's the guy that has the $100,000 budget, you know, if you're going to pay for this office facility that looks great on the outside, but you realize you're losing money because you don't have the clientele, how are you going to justify it? So that's just the biggest thing. I have to let them know that you have to be prepared to get your hands dirty and in, in the first aspects of your business, because that's what it really boils down to in entrepreneurship, in my opinion. You know, I'm going to bring this back to, to, to the story you first told us of what lit a fire under your butt and what you said just now. It's really good. You, you said you can have this office building, but you don't have the clients to support it. And, and the same thing happened to you when you were younger and you were like, I'm living, I'm putting out to the world this lifestyle that I can't afford. And you had to come to that realization that that's not you. You can't afford that lifestyle and you had to make some changes. So the people who come out of the the business world that have a a nest egg of of whatever it may be, you have to understand that you have to support what you put into the business. Now, there's Mm -hmm. an issue investment, obviously, but after that, everything that you spend has to be paid for continuously by something. (laughs) It doesn't come out of thin air. You can't right. go up to the bank and just give them an excuse because banks don't like excuse. I mean, not, not only do they not like it, they just don't take them. <laughs> they don't take them. <laughs> yeah, there's no excuse box at the bank. You know, it's like your uh, payments due. That's, that's just right. all there is to it. That's your bank right. account says zero. There's no excuse excuse box where you can pull some more money out. It's just it's done. That's right. And, um, so yeah, I think that's really important for the people who who come from a corporate background that think to themselves, "Hey, look, I need to have a a very big presence. I need to have an office that looks nice and and all this stuff." That that is overhead. Yeah. And if someone's not paying for that overhead, it's coming out of your initial investment and every dollar you're taking out of that is a dollar less you have to survive until that's you right. actually generate revenue. So that's that's golden. Yeah, I mean, because the the image thing doesn't just it doesn't stop with whether you're young or whether you're middle age. I mean, it it really is something that is prevalent in most of our lives. And even when you when you're at a certain status and you you know you're retired and you know you're starting it, a lot of times your peer group are the people that you know you want to talk with. You know, initially I know that we'll talk with family and friends, but for those who've been in business a little longer and they've been successful. 
in their company and they've managed teams of 80 people or teams around the country, it's a humbling experience when you don't have those teams. And you're trying to justify in your mind, like, you know, how am I meeting with someone who hasn't worked with the level of people I have and they haven't, you know, seen the numbers? I've been all around the country. And that that to me is that can be the hardest thing for a new entrepreneur that has had major success in a corporate world is to realize that that world is not the reality. You know, it can be, hey, it can be with a lot of work, but that is not the reality. No matter how successful you have been, that's not the startup reality. I'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah it, that's that goes into to servant leadership, actually. And, and that's something that I had to deal with. And, and I deal with it actually fairly well because I just, uh, it doesn't matter to me so much anymore. I, I think that just over the years, things, things have changed in my head as far as the way that I see the world. Yeah. But, you know, I do consulting where I sit in a job and, and I am the consultant, which basically means that, you know, you pay me to give you my opinion generally. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I do. And I don't make any of the decisions. And, and sometimes I have to watch my client uh, go down and, and find his potholes. You know, maybe you pointed out two or three times, like big pothole there. And they're like, no, nah, I like this road. And you're like, okay, well, you know, what I'll do is I'll just carry a spare tire with me. Cause that's what you do as, as a consultant. You're like, I'll tell you about the pothole. And then if you refuse to listen about the pothole, what I'll do is I'll just make sure I have a pair of spare tire. Cause I know you're going to hit it. That's and right. when you hit it, I'll just put that spare tire on. And this is why you love me because I let you do those things. But I, I always have a parachute for you just in case. But when you used to be the general manager somewhere, and you were the final decision maker. You had the P&L responsibility and, and you know, you had that mm-hmm. staff. And then you go into a, a, another environment and you're somebody who they they pay to listen to, which doesn't mean that they're going to listen to you. It just means that they they figure they you might have something good to say and they could just ignore you for a year. <laughs> exactly. I've seen it happen, you know. Yeah. Um, but getting that transition and that humility, you're like, I used to be. And it's like, okay, first of all, you are never what your job title was. Well, right. you know, like it came with benefits. <laughs> right. You know, right. you had a car, you had a driver, you had a secretary. Everybody said yes, sir, to you. When you walked in, the right. secretary ran to get you coffee. Like right. that was that was your life, but that's not who you are. Like when you went home, your wife <laughs> <laughs> that's who you are. That's who you are. <laughs> <laughs> your whole you office thing that's not who you are so when you go to the next client just just remember who you really are right and that might help you build your, your investment which oh, you'll have funny. yeah <laughs> that's funny and i'm sure you you've been through that right i mean you started oh, yeah. doing videos and I have no doubt that as as your company succeeded, you started thinking that maybe your poop smelt a little bit better. Oh yeah, and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you know, but you have a daughter, so I'm sure she kept you grounded. Yeah, well, I, I have three daughters, so I'm very grounded. Wow. There. <laughs> <laughs> three daughters. Yeah. So what do they do to you to keep you grounded? <laughs> All right. So, and here, here's the dynamic: I have two in college, and I have one that's seven. All right. Mm-hmm. The two that are in college, they've been with me. They've seen the ups and downs and now they're seeing the daylight. So it's just one of those things where they just say, you're always dead. Right. You're dead. No matter who I could think, I I feel like I've accomplished this or I've done that. You're dead. You know, so it's a great thing because they've seen some of that struggle and they can always remind you, remember this. Yeah. Remember that. And it keeps you humble. You know, and I think 
having a seven-year-old keeps me hungry because now I have to make sure, you know, <laughs> I keep it going again. Terry. I, <laughs> I cannot rest on my laurels, you know. Uh, so it's just, I think, you know, I think having girls, man, was a, a godsend for me because I, mm-hmm. I needed that motivation. I needed those eyes looking at me going, you know what, we're depending on you. And I, I think I needed that for me at a certain place in my life. So that's just been a, a great thing for me. And I think for, for what I've, you know, attempted to accomplish in life, they've helped me to keep, stay grounded, but to also have a certain level of ambition, you know, because I always want them to see it too. I want to be a model for them in terms of being a man, you know, what type of men are you interested in? You know, somebody that has a certain level of ambition, but humility, you know, and also, and that giving back piece is the thing that I think really helped solidify that humble attitude of, you know what, you, you're you not really anything. Like you say, you're not the job. You're just the person. Like you say, it doesn't matter. Even as an entrepreneur, you reach a certain status, you know, you get some magazine articles and you get some awards. You can start to think that that defines you. But at the end of the day, when you get home, your wife helps you to remember, hey. <laughs> That's where the laundry hamper is. That's, that's what do you really, do throwing that on the floor. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that is right. Oh wow! Yeah. So, going back to the awards you got of of, of uh, setting up the people who work at your company being named. You said the 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 best company to work for six years in a row, right? Is is what you yes. said? Yes. Yeah, Atlanta's best and brightest. Yep. Okay, so walk me through what have you done in your company that is different from all the people who didn't win that award? (laughs) (laughs) So what they have, actually, they have, it's called the 101 Best and Brightest Companies to Work For in Atlanta. And so for me, this was so great because Atlanta's a big market. You know, Atlanta's a, not only is it a huge market for corporate Fortune 500 and 100 companies, it's big in the entertainment sphere. So for my company, we're walking in in those lanes. We're working with the corporate corporate and government agencies, but we're also working with the entertainment companies. So to have the staff recognize that, you know, not only are they happy with where they work, but they're happy with how we do business. That says a lot in terms of the people that do business with, you, you know, because that's a very small list for all the corporations here. So when people or organizations look to that and they're like, hey, you've been listed in this and this is a consistent thing, they see that you have a certain level of excellence that you want to keep up with. And, you know, it may not happen every year, but the fact is, you know, the fact that you're striving for standards, you know, that's something we use, you know, in our sales pitches or when we're talking, you know, something we, we let them know that, hey, it does matter how organizations see us and how you see us, because we want to make sure that your reputation is intact by the people you're doing business with. So for me, that's why that's been so huge is because we want, we use that to tell them about our reputation, how that's going to be intact and, you know, the synergy with your, your organization and doing business together. Yeah. And you sit in the chair that kind of sets the tone. And now, granted, depending on the size of the organization, you could have a great uh, owner or general manager and the tone could get distorted somewhere three, three levels down the line. But you set the tone. What are you doing to set the tone to where people actually wake up Monday morning and are not going, oh, damn, I got to go into the office again? Because you're not going to make it on the list if most of your employees wake up in the morning and think, uh, you know, I I just would rather 
or do anything. You know, right. do I have a dentist appointment I can go to with no anesthesia? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so well, what have you done to set that tone? Well, we're, we're, we are 100% virtual. I mean, I was ahead of this curve before COVID hit. So that was a great thing. You know, I use virtual offices. You know, if we need to meet together, we can meet anywhere in the U.S. You know, we don't have a brick and mortar office. We basically, everybody has the flexibility to work from their home. Their home is their office. Or if we need to meet in one of our virtual offices, that's fine. You know, because it's just the clientele are younger. I mean, not the clientele, but the staff are younger. They're cutting edge. And, you know, some of them are older for the management piece. But that's one of the things we just had to be very flexible in our thinking and how we go about our daily operations. And so working in different sectors, it's just one of those things when you have, you know, in the entertainment sector, sometimes we need that young, vibrant energy. And, you know, I like to think that I'm still young and vibrant. But at the point at this point, I also realize that there's a point where you can become out of touch with certain things. So you have to have people around you that are smarter, of course, but also more proficient in certain areas. You know, your job is to learn how to manage and motivate. That's my biggest thing now. I like to manage and motivate. And so that's why for me, I got into public speaking because I would really motivate people. You know, I've I've worked for some people that could, you know, I had this sales job one time. They used to have this term. We get together every time before we go out and we'd be so pumped before we go out to do sales. And I said, there's something to that. You know, so I'm really big on motivating my people, you know, making sure they get their money on time, but also the flexibility that works. You know, that that has been something that's worked for our company and how we do business. No, that that's absolutely great. You know, when I was in college, I have you heard of Kirby vacuum cleaners? Yes. Yes, I know very well about the Kirby vacuum cleaners. Oh, have you done it? Because no, that's what I, I've had someone okay. come to me with one of those five thousand dollars vacuums. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I was in college, that person was me. And, oh uh, man! Speaking of the motivating part, it's it, it was weird because we'd show up and the sales uh, manager would get us up and make us dance, which I, I thought was really silly. And and it was, but we we were laughing our butts off by the time it was over because I, right. I'm not just. I'm not just white. I'm also Korean. So, <laughs> and I'm not like K-pop generation. Right. I'm like, you know, I'm like, I got gray hair now. So, yeah. so it's like two, two, two mixes. None of them could dance, you know? Right. And uh, <laughs> That's right. K-pop, so in the mornings we would, uh, we'd, we'd laugh our butts off, even though it was silly as, as hell, but it would it actually did help when I look back at what they did. Not, I'm not saying that people should, you know, grab their workforce and make them dance in the morning. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, saying that there is something to, to as soon as they arrived, get them, get them going, get the juices flowing, especially mm-hmm. in sales. Go out with the right mindset, the right attitude, because when you're doing Kirby door to door, you know. Wow. <laughs> You are a beast, Perry, because, I mean, you're telling someone, listen, this vacuum's thousands of dollars and you need it. And I just walked up to your door. And when you get them to buy it, that was amazing. So kudos to yeah. you, man. That's just, that's, hey, I was wow. number one in sales. Wow. You know, we had is, the Coca-Cola yeah. trick, the, uh, the encyclopedia trick. You know, we had all kinds of tricks to get in your house. Yeah, you know, and know. again, it was a different world. They still opened. I mean, now I don't know. I, th- I guess, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're you're a random knock. You're like, okay, that's uh, we're not going to open that. But no, you're right. That was that was a different day, and it was. But even still, that was 
that was a technique that was amazing to me. And I always was in awe for people that did that because I never had, I just didn't have the brass to, to try that. So if you did that and you were topping sales, man, geez, there's nothing but success yeah, yeah. in the future. <laughs> if you can apply, if you can take that and apply it, you're, you're winning, period. <laughs> you're winning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think it definitely helped me along the way a little bit. But uh, I, yeah. I I remember those days with rosy colored glasses. So when I was doing yeah. it, it wasn't so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow, wow! So it's interesting, like you say, in that in that piece, that motivational piece. You know, I'm actually mentoring. I'm working with businesses, and now I'm doing workshops. So you know, we have more people coming to workshops, and you know, I'm looking out and I see a hundred people that have paid to come to a workshop. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is, I'm actually getting pretty good at this. You know, I'm, 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 but, but I have to realize I'm actually talking about scores information. I'm helping them with scores information. Once again, I'm in that bubble of an organization that has a tried and true system and I'm sharing with others how to make it work. But that also led me to, you know, want to get into public speaking. And so that's where I evolved and I went down the road of joining Toastmasters to become better, a more proficient leader and speaker, because it's a great organization organization for both. You know, they have they have modules to teach you not only how to become a better communicator, but also on how to they have different leadership modules to teach you how to become a better leader. And that has been so beneficial to me as a business owner, working in a space as a mentor where I work with other business owners that I get free advice and I'm able to constantly work with people and troubleshoot. And I could troubleshoot with a client and help myself, you know, because I'm working with them. And then I get in this program that's now giving me new leadership skills because, you know, you've been a leader for so long, your, your style becomes a little antiquated and you don't know it. You're just thinking, you know, Hey, I'm a leader. I'm making this thing work, but people are going, Hey, that's not that, that style doesn't work anymore. So learning these new set of uh, leadership skills has been great. That's right. And I, I imagine that now that you're, that you're in part of scores and, and this conversation, I think for people listening is a great example. When, when you have people who have been in leadership or, or been entrepreneurs, we, we all have different experiences. And so you have these exchanges kind of like our conversation, which is one of the reasons I was excited to talk to you. And, and even before the podcast, I was, I was enjoying our conversation because you can learn so much. I mean, we've, we've been through the different path, the different paths to the same goal. Right. And everybody takes a journey, just just learns just little tidbits different than you. And being able to be around more of them uh, gives you some some really interesting insights that that must in some way, uh, I guess, how does that inform your your speaking and your mentoring? The fact that you do have that that, you know, the people in score circling you, the people at Toastmasters, which, again, I think is also an excellent organization mm-hmm. uh, circling you. Well, as far as score is concerned, you know, I'm with. Tons of entrepreneurs. And if I have a question, you know, I get to sit in on mentoring sessions with them and hear them mentor different clients. I remember when I first wanted to start working with the government, you know, there's a guy who had been working with the government for 30 years and we were at a banquet at the end of the year. You know, we were just having a conversation. He said, hey, let me see your business card. And I pulled out this business card. And at the time, the business card, you know, it was kind of built more around that entertainment industry because I was really hitting that market. And he said, you know what? This is atrocious. And that's exactly how he said it. Now, <laughs> yeah, it took me back. But loving I had to, and caring mentorship. <laughs> that loving and caring, you know, but he was a straight shooter and I mm-hmm. needed him for me 
that's what I needed. And that's why I came to him because I knew he was a straight shooter. And, you know, he told me, hey, this is what you need. And I needed that to get to another place and to move into that sphere. Now, in Toastmasters, and, and I'm not saying mentors are that way to anyone that's listening, that was a person that I asked to be that way that worked in SCORE that had been in government, just to clarify. Now, yeah. going in Toastmasters, Toastmasters has programs where you get to speak regularly with your club. They have different modules of different types of speeches where you want to be humorous, motivational, or where you want to focus on stuff that deals in the leadership component. And you get to do this on a weekly, biweekly, or monthly basis amongst a safe environment. So in your club environment, everyone cheers you on. You know, No matter how bad your speech is, they'll cheer you on. And when they evaluate you, they don't tear you down with critique. They tell you, hey, this is what you did great. I love what you did here. Here are some ways where you can make that speech even better. So you walk away every week feeling, you know, pumped up. You feel great about, you know, getting up in front of this group because people are uplifting you. Now that does wonders for not only your morale and now your ability to go out and speak, but also it kind of changes the way you learn to interact with people. You find yourself now when you talk to people, you find yourself uplifting them in a way that motivates them as opposed to, you know, pointing out, hey, you did this wrong, you did that wrong. It's like, hey, there's another way to communicate that. So that's what was so important for me uh, in each of those individual organizations, just the opportunities that were available. Yeah, I think that's just such a good point, too, about building up on the foundation that you have instead of criticizing the foundation you're standing on. Yeah. And and that is just such a different way to lead. One of my biggest transitions into leadership or, or mindset changes was was exactly that, where instead of trying to tell people what they did wrong and, and you don't want to just tell them what they did right, you want to tell them. And you also have to, you know, it's you got to give them some recognition so they continue doing it. Exactly. But it's when they do something wrong, you have to have discipline. You have to have world class standards. That's it. You don't become a better speaker by not knowing how to right. how to improve. But the thing is, you need to know how to improve. You don't necessarily need to beat down on what you did wrong, but going, okay, in this phase, here are some things that you could do Mm -hmm. instead of going, when you did this, your keys rattled and that distracted everybody. (laughs) And because it distracted everybody, nobody got your point. And you, sir, are an idiot for putting your hand in your pocket, (laughs) right? Because I I was going to be a pastor. I went to Christ for the Nations and we did these kind of things. And they would, they would sit there and playfully, we had our games. You know, if you stick mm-hmm. your hand in your pocket, somebody throw something at you, uh, just to get, yeah. get you out of the habit of sticking your hand in your pocket. Exactly. Um, so you didn't rattle any change or any keys. And then you were also told, you know, don't, for, don't forget, take out your change and keys when you go up mm-hmm. front, because everyone saw you will stick your hand in your pocket, even after we trained you not to, but that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but that, that communication style of, giving people the visibility of things that could get better instead of pointing out precisely what they did wrong is, is so much better. Plus they also have the tools to get better instead of just the sulking of doing something wrong. Exactly. You're given these tools and, and you know, the process is incremental. You know, it, the, the speech you gave the first time will be totally different from the one you give the seventh time. Because you've had all these small little lessons to help you get better. And, and, you know, we highlight what you're great at. So now you're very confident in doing certain things a certain way. But, you know, if you fidget or like you say, if you put your hands in your pocket, you're more aware of it. And that's the thing. It's the awareness. 
that part is what's so great about that program is that it allows you to become totally aware of things on your own. You organically, ah, yeah, I remember they said I did that. I did it. I got to make sure I don't do it. You know, and, and as you, you know, you move into professional speaking, you know, as you cross that barrier from, you know, doing talks with your club to now doing free talks to now you're getting paid to do talks, you realize that all those lessons are appropriate because they helped you to get to a place where now you find out who you are, because that's really what it is. As a speaker, you have to be yourself. You can have all these different things that you've learned, but people ultimately, and I always go back to retail, they I was always taught people buy you. You know, no matter what you sell, people are actually buying the person that sold it to them. So in my philosophy, even as a now professional speaker, people buy into what you're giving them. And it has to be authentic. You know, it has to come from a place that's your experience, you know, or from things you've learned or from things that you've learned that have organically become a part of your life, because that's to me is what helps other people grow in certain areas. They can identify, even though, you know, you talk to someone who's from Germany, they've never experienced things exactly the way you have as, as, as myself, as an African-American male in America, but there's mm -hmm. a certain level of experience the story of, you know, hey, we overcame that challenge to get to, you know, we jumped that hurdle and we can get here. And I think those are the things that resonate with people in general as a whole, you know, just learning how to communicate. So the biggest thing for me as a leader and a speaker is learning not only how to communicate with people, but communicate something where there's a takeaway, where they feel like, you know what, that's something I can identify with that resonates and I can use that and apply that in my life. Yeah. So, so basically it, it seems like at the end of, of whatever speech that you're giving, whatever they brought you in for, you want them to be able to turn it into something actionable. Does that sound about right? That's it. Empowering people to affect change. That's my slogan as a speaker. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> that works. So when, when you went into Toast, how, how long ago did you join Toastmasters? I joined in 2017. 2017. So you, yeah. by then you had a fairly successful company. You were making some decent money yes. and then you joined Toastmasters and as any speaker, now I'm not a professional speaker, but I've, I've been through a little bit of it again. I was going to be a pastor. So I'd been through a little bit of that wheel. Oh yeah. Uh, when you first do it, you really suck. So how did you take that when you, <laughs> when you joined oh, yeah. Toastmasters, <laughs> you're coming from a position of I'm a successful business owner and you're going into, to a skill set that you simply do not necessarily possess. Right. And you're going to have to develop this skill set. And that's, you know, it goes back to the entrepreneur that comes to you that that you should be an executive. They're coming to a skill set they may not possess. Mm -hmm. How did you deal with with approaching something, knowing that, hey, this is something that that I need to develop and, and, and understanding the difference? Well, as a person who kind of worked behind the scenes in my line of work, you know, more in that producer role, I had to just for me. I wanted to be fearless because I wanted to do it. So I was very bold in letting my flaws just be picked apart, you know, and the program, the way it was, the way it was designed, they made it so that, you know, people were giving you an evaluation in the sense, not the critique of you did this wrong. You did. So that threw me because I was ready for the critique. I had just said, all right, put on your, you know, put on your helmet and just take it like a man. Right. And <laughs> yep, it was, <laughs> it was so great the way they did it. It really helped me with my approach 
because I was always wanting to speak. I'm like, hey, I'll speak. If someone couldn't speak, I'll speak. I'll evaluate. I'll do whatever. So I was so immersed in the program that I, I saw a lot of progress fast. And, and I'll have to say with my father being in ministry and my mom being in ministry, I saw public speaking all the time. I just yeah. didn't equate it to that. I just equated it to I'm a PK, I'm a pastor's kid. I never realized that those skill sets that I saw from them were public speaking. So I had something to pull from. I just didn't know that I did. And it was only after I started doing it, I realized, hey, you know, you might have something more than you thought. So for me, the track became easier because I got confident. The program was great. And I was able to really move forward within a short amount of time. But yeah, it's, oh, that, that's great. it's a daunting feeling getting up and talking that first time. I just felt like, you know what? I think everybody's going to see my lunch right now if, if I have to get up and speak. But <laughs> but I got over that fear and, you know, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a progress. You just continue to grow. Yeah, and get confident in, in being able to do it. And, and that's the one thing that, that I love about learning a new skill is it brings you back to one is, is it requires humility. You mm -hmm. you have to be willing to fail over and over again to be able to learn. Right. And I, I really think that the, the point that you bring up of how Toastmaster gives feedback, and I've not I'm not a member of Toastmasters, but the the methodology that you're saying I, I am familiar with of, mm -hmm. of being able to reinforce the positive and then give people ways to improve instead of criticizing what they did, yeah. then gives you that confidence to continue going. And in the workplace mm -hmm. so often we find that that's not how people interact. Right. A lot of times, you know, we the older you get, the more you remember the times when people said, you know, put your head down, shut up and just do your job. That's right. And nowadays it's, it's not as much like that in most workplaces. Uh, I'm sure that there are plenty out there that are, that still prescribe to that methodology of coercion, mm -hmm. but uh, <laughs> it, yeah. it's much not more left. fruitful. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I said that won't be around much longer, <laughs> but you're right. That's, that's still <laughs> as I, especially yeah, with millennials now, man. I mean, cause they'll, jump boat, you know, just because they don't like the shoes you're wearing sometimes. So you you have to learn how to interact with people for real. It's yeah. not the depression era or the kids or the sons of the people who lived in the depression that are growing up in the U.S. right now. It's That's people right. who have grown up around an immense amount of wealth. I mean, even I've traveled all over the world. I've been mm -hmm. I've been to Africa. I was in Mozambique, the 15th most impoverished country in the world. Like I know what poverty actually looks like. And in the United States, even poor people are rich. Okay. And so it's everybody's grown up around an immense amount of wealth. If you look at it from a global perspective, exactly. And so with that, they they're they're a little bit. Uh, I don't want to say soft because that's the wrong word, mm -hmm. but they're they're pickier, uh, yeah. not picky. I don't know what the right word for it. Maybe they're a little disillusioned to real poverty. There you and go. Real struggle. They don't know what that really is. So you know. Yeah. And so it's harder to keep them motivated because they don't have the fear of being back in an extended stay. Exactly. <laughs> They're going home. You know I mean? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You hear bumps next door. You just kind of, yeah, I'm not going to call it. We're just going to leave that alone. Let that happen or on its own there. Be right. That's a different. <laughs> wow. Different day. This is, this has been great, Perry. You made me bring up some real memories. This is funny. <laughs> And I'm so glad, I'm so glad all this happened before social media was something that I was a part of. You know, it's yeah. interesting. These social media now, I'm just thinking, wow, if I went through all of this in social media, that would have been 
Whew. I don't know. Yeah, it's a different world out there for for the younger generation. And yeah, you know, I used to joke around and go, "Look, I thank goodness I'm old because you know by the time this all changes and becomes a not <laughs> non understandable for me, I'll be dead." So, <laughs> but it will um, not be my concern. You're right. That's right. But it it is it is an interesting world that that younger people are are growing up in now, and and it's definitely very very different from from what we grew up with. And I think you've done a really good job based on what I've heard of tapping into that youth because you're in, you're in the media landscape. You know, you kind of need the guys with the gray hair to keep you from making the really big financial mistakes. And then right. some of that experience to, to keep you true, but you also need that, you know, that young energy one to do the job because as you get older, that, <laughs> that energy is not there. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And the second thing that comes on with boundless energy is creativity and imagination, because the more energy you have, the more, you know, the more you're doing things, the more you're thinking, the more creative you can, you can be, uh, is just generally the way I, I view it. So that mix is, is something that seems like you've balanced really well. That's right. Thank you. And, you know, it's always just uh, the great, some great advice I received is just always learn, you know, always be open to learn, you know, especially if you want to stay in this space, you know, and, and, and whatever you want to do, just always be in a position to learn because you can learn something from anybody, you know, depending on what it is. And the moment you shut yourself off, you know, you stop growing and become a fossil. That's true. Toast to the future fossils. Yes. <laughs> 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 uh, I've kept you beyond the hour, so I want to give you your time back. But first off, I want to I want to thank you for for being on the podcast. It was great talking to you, and you know I'd love to have you on again in the future. I mean, this was this was a great introduction of who you are and kind of your you, you know what you've been doing in your life. And we didn't get really deep deep into any particular subject. So in the future, if you want to come back on and there's a particular thing that you want to do, like a, and I know you have the experience to do it, right? If we want to have a conversation that could really deep dive into, into specific things, I'd love to have you to have that type of conversation again. And plus it'd be good hearing from you. <laughs> Perry, it's been a pleasure. Also, I, thank you. I will take that deep dive. I will dig deeper into the closet and we'll share with people. So they <laughs> They'll really know <laughs> what it takes to live, to survive. You know, we can call it survival. That'll be the podcast. <laughs> Just, that, you know, that's right. Yeah. But no, thank you. This, it's been great talking to you. And I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast.